Baseball 365 Podcast, and here are your hosts, Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Welcome to episode 99 of the Baseball 365 Podcast. My name is Justin Hughes, and thank you for taking some time out of your week to spend with us today. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Baseball365Pod. You can follow myself at Justin Hughes 365 and you can follow Andrew at AMCQ82. You can also join our Facebook group, Baseball365, where we have over 2,200 members talking about baseball every day of the week. The big thing discussion going on today was the unfortunate passing of Henry Aaron, the home run king for so many years. And in, anyways, baseball's always getting discussed on there. People are joining leagues, talking about leagues, and just talking about trade advice. The best way you can support the show is to go to iTunes, and if you would take a few moments to leave us a five-star rating and write a nice review for us, in a, it's a good way to help us out, and we would be very appreciative. On tonight's episode, it is part one of the second base breakdown. Andrew and I will be breaking down the NFBC ADP on a bunch of second basemen. And in a few days, we will put out part two, which will cover the rest of them. All right, let's bring Andrew on. And Andrew, the question of the week. This one involves going back in time. Early on in your fantasy baseball playing days when you were just starting to play, what was one of the worst trades you ever made? Maybe a good learning experience you had. Uh, well, there was probably multiples, honestly, I, um, there's one that always stands out and it was, um, I traded Jose Fernandez, his rookie year. And I'm not sure exactly when it was, but, um, I think it was in April or May, but I'm pretty sure it was in April for Paul Mahalo straight up. (laughs) It was a one for one. And uh, I had to pull up the game logs to kind of remind myself. So Paul Mahalam, his first three starts that year were all shutout starts. I mean, not not complete game shutout, but, you know, he didn't give up any runs. He had a zero ERA through three starts. And then his next start, he gave up three. So it had to be, I think it was somewhere in there. And um, Fernandez had like couple good starts, a couple rough starts, you know, just a little bit of inconsistency. And it was a league where we kept 10 and I had a good team and I just, I didn't think that I would keep Fernandez. So it was like one of those where I thought Mahalam was just better for that year, you know, Mm -hmm. and (laughs) you know, the rest, I mean, that's, (laughs) yeah, it was pretty bad. I mean, I like, down the you know year or two down the road before obviously the unfortunate passing I was just beating myself up like oh boy but yeah that was that was a rough one for sure what about you um my worst one goes back to 2006 and I was at a baseball game Cardinals and Mets were playing in 2006 and I had Hanley Ramirez as my starting uh, and Jose Reyes both on my team as shortstops. And this was one of those shallow leagues where you only played one. You had a utility position, but I decided I needed to move one of them for some power. Hanley was breaking out in his rookie year, and Jose Reyes was kind of scuffling. So I sent Jose Reyes away for a hot starting Nick Johnson. (laughs) 
<laughs> Jose Reyes, uh, right after making that trade, blew up and was a top five player in 2007 drafts going into the next year. Hanley had a great year, too. I mean, he had 17 home runs and 51 stolen bases, so he was good also, but Reyes was better, and Nick Johnson wasn't. And I actually went and looked up to see what the date of that game was, and it was in June 20th, 2006, where the Cardinals played the Mets, and that's where I made the trade. Nick Johnson at that point had a 312 batting average with 12 home runs and a half and the and 294 plate appearances. That seems kind of high, but I guess it's almost mid-season there. And yeah, he didn't do near that in the second half and Jose Reyes was the best play, one of the best players in baseball, so. <laughs> um good good stuff. You put you play this game long enough, you're eventually going to have some of those, so. Yes, I'm looking up Paul. I looked up while you were talking Paul Mahalem's 2013 season to see what the end of year stats were. And yeah, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. It, yeah, it wasn't good, but it wasn't awful, awful. I mean, it's not. Uh, it's nothing like Jose Fernandez. But um, four yeah. four ERA, 153 innings, six point one eight strikeouts I, per nine. <laughs> I think I wound up dropping him that year though too. I did too. I'm not. I'm not positive, but. Yes, Nick Johnson didn't finish the season of my squad either. Yeah, yeah. It was like one of, like I said, it was like one of those leagues where, if it wasn't someone you thought you were going to keep, you were mm -hmm. just trying to have the better player for that year. Mm -hmm. You know, and I, <laughs> that was just kind of my <laughs> kind of my logic, but it went uh, definitely went sideways. So let it be known, guys, you are listening to a podcast where one guy thinks Paul <laughs> Mahalem's going to be better than Jose Fernandez and the other one thinks Nick Johnson's going to be better than Jose Reyes. Thank you for listening. <laughs> uh, good stuff. Okay. All right, let's get started on our second base ranks. And like I do every time, I'm going to start off. I pulled up the top 10 second baseman from last year. We got Glaber Torres, who was the number one second baseman last year at 28 overall. He's no longer eligible. Uh, Jose Altuve at 33. Jonathan Villar at 38. Ozzy Albies was number four at 40 overall. Keston Hira at 42, fifth overall. Ketel Marte at 45. Whit Merrifield at 51, the seventh second baseman. DJ LeMayhew's the eighth one at 64. Max Muncy at 76. And Jeff McNeil at 85. So as you hear that, what are your instant reactions to it uh kind of a mixed bag i mean i feel like a lot of these guys had down years especially the ones at the top yes um so yeah just kind of a mixture i mean there's a few in there that were good more at the bottom but yeah they're kind of shuffled around this year for sure yeah, the top six, unless, I mean, really, even if you drafted Albies, you got hurt with that first half. I mean, really, none of those top six probably returned value. Right. And so, yeah, it was a rough year for the position. And now this year, the second base just doesn't look that that glamorous. So It's, what, so, odd. it's so odd to look at VR going way ahead of DJ, <laughs> LeMay, of DJ LeMayhew, isn't it? My, how much just, changes in one year. Yeah, it looks just looks funny. <laughs> so 
as we joked about last week, second base is the odd position this year where everybody's got multi-position eligibility. I think I counted four or five, five of the top 22 are, have second base only, and the other 17 are multi-position guys. So it's going to be an odd show, but I most of the multi-position guys we're saving for this episode because there's so few of them. But what are your thoughts on this position as a whole, and do you have a goal or a plan of attack that you like consistent, consistently have in redrafts right now with second base? Uh, I would say, you know, like, with second base and shortstop, middle infield, just kind of all together, um, I I like to get guys that are going to give me some steals. Uh, a lot, I mean, a lot of that's just because you know your corner guys aren't typically getting you that, and you've got to have it somewhere. I mean, obviously the outfield you can get it too, um, but yeah, I, I tend to target uh, guys that are going to contribute there. As far as specific names, I mean, we'll kind of get to it as we go down the list. There's, I feel like when you go down a little bit, you know, there's a lot of uh, similar guys, so you can kind of nitpick there. But overall, I feel like it's not a great position. There's some guys I really don't, really don't like where they're going. I just think they're going too high. But then, you know, there's certain points where I kind of like to wait too, but it gets kind of ugly too towards the bottom. And I feel like if you do wait, you might want to grab a couple or, you know, have a backup plan in mind because your plan A just might not work. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a strange position. I feel like this year. Yeah. I definitely have a strategy going in where there's a couple guys I really want to get that are in the top hundred and I want to get one of those. But if I don't, I feel like, a lot in a lot of drafts I feel like waiting a long time and just taking one or two of the late late guys that I think have the capabilities of being a um solid guy on the team and I almost look at it at that point as a middle infield position there's a, been multiple drafts where I've drafted two shortstops and in my head I've looked at the second base and who I wait on being my middle infielder and then I make yeah. sure I take two of them for that exact reason because you got to make sure you're covered. If you've got two shortstops, you need to, you probably need to have two second basemen because you've, if one fails, you're going to need to dip in early into the reserve round. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Well, let's start off with the top two guys, and they're just going three picks apart. That would be DJ LeMayhew, who is first, second, and third eligible at 29 overall. And three picks later, ADP wise, is Ozzy Albies at 32 overall. Between these two, who would you take first of the group if you were at that two-three turn? Uh, definitely Albies. Um, it's mostly, you know, I just I feel like that there's more five-category upside, still a lot of growth potential, um, and just mostly though the the steals. I mean, like I said, I. I'm kind of targeting certain guys at second base for that. And uh, it just, I just feel comfortable with it. I don't like LeMahieu where he's going this year. I think he's going too high. Um, I think he should be a lot closer to Witt, who's the next guy on the list. 
uh, I feel like they're pretty similar actually. I mean, different, but similar in like terms of overall value. So uh, I just probably won't get LeMayhew. He is triple eligible, which, ni- which is nice. Um, but I just, I just think he's going too high. I can't take him at the two, three turn. So Albies for me, anywhere from like the middle of the second to the middle of the third. Um, but yeah, and probably not, probably not LeMayhew. So, so Albies, I, I was going to ask that question. You think you'd take him as early as the middle of the second, if the draft, what fell, you know, where it pretty much went right down the line of how your ranks would be. You think he could, yeah, possibly... something like something like that. Yeah. Like, um, there's a lot of pitchers in there. Obviously there's bats I would take ahead of him. And if it fell the exact certain way, probably around like 25 ish okay, is where I would 24, 25, maybe somewhere in there. I did get him in a draft at 32. So, uh, you know, there was just a couple pitchers I wanted to get. Cause I had, I picked on the end and, took Acuna first. So I wanted to get a pitcher, but, um, yeah, I think he's fine anywhere in there. Like, like I was saying with LeMahieu, it's just, I feel like it's just too high to draft a guy that is predominantly batting average. While I do trust his batting average to be a good batting average, you know, a little bit of batted ball, bad luck. And I don't know, like he had a 370 Babbitt last year. Like what? What if his? What's he projected for? He's projected for two ninety one. Yeah, like what if he hits two eighty? You know, which I think is a disappointing average for him. But I don't. I mean, I think it's possible. It, you know, is it's just a disappointing line at that point. Really disappointing Dude. because you're not getting. You know, you're basically getting. 20 or so home runs you would expect and single digit steals and just not a profile I'm I want and you know around pick 30 so what would you project his batting average to be probably probably close to 300 I think it's probably an over like I'd probably over the 291 with steamer but I also know that it's a, t- I mean, yeah, it's a it's tough a- stat to yes. nail, you know? So yeah. yeah, it's like one of those things. I'm just saying it's, it's volatile enough that, yeah, I'm just, I'm just not comfortable with it here. I feel like, and, and then the power too, like it is nice that he re-signed with the Yankees. Um, that's definitely nice, but I, but I feel like this price here was assuming that almost, you know, like, if he didn't, he was going to plummet or drop. And if he did, well, he's just going to continue to go here. So I don't know. I just definitely am not feeling it here. And it's not that I don't think he's a good hitter. I, I think he's a great hitter, but uh, just just not feeling the overall package here, like I said, a 2-3 turn. And to back up what you said there, I went and looked to see what his ADP has been in the last few days since he re-signed with the Yankees. Only three drafts had happened at that point, but his ADP in those drafts is right at 30. So he's pretty much going, he went right in the same spot. And I think there is something to that. I think it would have plummeted more, plummeted had he left. Um, He has hit over 305 of the last six years. And honestly, in my head, 
I think just projecting, I would probably project a three. I know this is crazy, but a 305, 310 batting average, I would take. Yeah. I, th- I think I would almost project that. That said, I'm with you on the eight. I would not take him at this price. Even if you told me 310 batting average, I mean, steamer projections. If you if he did what steamer projected, this is. I don't think this is a good pick. I mean, 21 home runs and seven steals with a 291 batting average is not special, and it's not what I'm taking in that in that right there. Um, Albies, I got one more question on him. I know you've said this in the past. I think you've said this on the podcast. I hope you have. I know you've told it to me, but um, you've always said that Albies, you kind of see an upside that he's not not going to, but he's capable of. You think he has it in him to possibly be a, have one of those like Francisco Lindor type seasons. Do you still think that's there? Yeah. Yes, I do. All right. I just wanted to ask you. I, I figured you would say yes, and yeah, I don't disagree. Yeah, he's... He... He just turned 24. I mean, I just think it's all there, you know? Like, he's a good hitter. He has pop. He can run. I mean, obviously, the steals haven't been what you would have hoped coming into his career, you know, so far. But he's still fast. I mean, sprint speed is really good still. And I just, I don't know. I, I feel like it's all still in there. What They got him projected for 25 and 14. I think it's 26 I think and 17, right? Or I'm not looking right at uh, 25 and 14. What I'm looking at for steamer, and there's other ones. Any, you know, based all the projection systems have them anywhere from 25 to 28 homers, yeah, and like 14, 14 to 18 steals. And I think that he can do that, and maybe even a little bit more. And just with good batting average, I just like the overall line that he brings. It just there's really no weakness. Like he's not hurting you anywhere, even if he only is getting. 15 to 18 steals, which you would hope, you know, eventually he can jump 20. But um, even if he's getting 15 to 18 steals, the overall line is phenomenal. So there's just no weakness. So at a position where a ton of these guys have warts, I like it, especially when you consider there's room for growth too, for a guy that's 24 and was an elite prospect. So I would take him in the top of the third round if he was there. I don't think I'm willing personally to go into the second unless just I miss out on every pitcher possible. And I'd have to think about it. I think I probably would go for him at the 2-3 turn, probably still hoping to get him on the wraparound back if I was picking one or two. I don't think I'm willing to go quite as early as you, but I'm I'm not too far behind you on him. Yeah, it's, it's fair. Okay. Not, not, not a lot of people like Albies as much as me, let's be honest. So. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> it's all right. He, he's your guy. Um, number three, we got Whit Merrifield with an ADP of 39.46. He is second base and outfield eligible. You were mentioning that DJ LeMahieu belongs near Whit. If they were both pretty much the, there and you in the middle of the second or third round, would you would you take Whit before you take DJ? Man, I think it's close. I was actually looking at their uh, projected dollars earned, and they're dead even. In a, uh, I think the format I did was well. The one, the format I typically do when I look at those is uh, draft and hold format, like big bench, fifteen teams. Are they going off of steamer um, projections? Yeah, just off of steamer. Yeah. Okay. So you know, basically, I mean, 
DJ has the edge in the four, you know, average homers, ribbies, and runs a little bit in each. And Witt has the big edge in steals. So, yeah, I, I think it's close. I, I don't know. I really don't know what I would do. I'd have to be sitting in the draft probably, but um, not sure on that. You know, I don't know what I would do yet either. Part of me would want I like, to take Wit. I like Wit. I like Wit where he's going. By the way, sorry. Go ahead. But one of the things I'll add is I think DJ Lemayhew. I would take the over on most of his steamer projections. I think that they're pretty conservative compared to where Wits are, and it might have been with the uncertainty of where he was going to sign. But I still would be intrigued by taking Wit because that uh, you know Steamer projects forty home runs plus steals, and Lemayhew's not going to have that number. It's I mean I highly highly doubt it. I mean he'd have to really tap into more power. But would you take the over or under on forty home runs plus steals for Wit? I think it's close. I I'd probably let's see. I think he probably hits. Like 16 homers. Eh, 16 to 20, somewhere in there. And then, yeah, a little over 20 steals. So, Yeah, I, yeah, I, think, I think it's about right. I would take the under. I would take a slide under. I would take the under on the 24 steals. I'd have to see it again. I mean, he had a very good year last year. 12, 12 steals in 60 games. That's a 30-steal pace. I'd love to see him do that again. But... He also stole only 20 the previous year in 162 games and really like caught 10 times. And that's still in the back of my head. I remember making these warnings a year ago about how he stopped running in the second half of 2019. And maybe he was hurt. Maybe that's why. But I don't know. I'm still a little wary of the speed getting much over 20. I think it still should be around that. But that's well, I'd take the slide under. But I still I I like him. I still. I still feel like 20 stolen bases here is is really good. Agreed. So, like, and all the projection systems have them for more than that. All yeah. of them. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I like Witt. I hope it's not the year he falls off. I mean, obviously, you know, a little bit wrong side of 30, anything can happen. But I just feel like it's pretty safe floor he's hit for high averages too you know and uh just all around type of skill set so i think he's been moving up a little bit in drafts i i want to say that this adp that i'm looking at is a little bit higher than when i was looking at it say a month or so ago so still in the 89th percentile in sprint speed and i just went and looked at 2019 wondering if he might be slowed by something 86 percentile so still really fast yeah good ball player i like him too and yes i do like him at that price even though i was sounding like i was throwing cold water i would gladly take him in the late third round okay let's move on to Kevin biggio at 56 overall so we're dropping down into the end of the fourth round in a 15 team league um george springer signed and the lineup is stacking up. Biggio is kind of an odd one to dig into. Walks at pretty much as well as anybody in the league. But the stat cast data, just digging into him, it's pretty ugly. He doesn't hit the ball hard, 
but his launch angle is incredibly high. I think it was like 16 to 20 when I was looking at it. He definitely has an upper cut swing to him. So Steamer projects a 237 average, 354 OBP, 20 home runs, and 14 steals. I just li- I like playing the over-under home runs plus steals because I think that matters a lot. But if you if I gave you the over-under on 34 home runs plus steals, where, do, where are you going? Uh, probably over. Hmm. Okay. Being aggressive here. Yeah, not by much, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm telling you, you got to take one or the other. So, and it was actually 21 home runs plus steals, 15, 14 steals. So it's 35. You taking the under now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's gonna he's gonna over 34, but he's under 35. <laughs> <laughs> nope, that changes it for me. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So what are your thoughts on Biggio in terms of his price here at the end of the fourth? He does have three position you know, eligibility, second, third, it, and outfield. It's just not a guy that I'm going to get this year, and it's mostly because I am confident that he is going to have a bad batting average. Yeah, and I bad. know, like I said, I know – we were just talking about batting averages fluky and it's up and down, but I just feel like it's close to a lock that he's going to have a rough batting average. And at this spot in the draft, I don't want to take that onto my team. Now in an OBP league, totally different. I think that Kevin Biggio might be second to Joey Gallo in the upgrade from batting average to OBP, or maybe he's even first. I don't know, but um, it's two different worlds. So if you're in an OBP league, it changes everything because yeah. he walks a ton and he's going to be hitting probably in between, if I had to guess, Springer and Bo or something along those lines. Um, OB, his OBP is just so good that he he's unlikely to move down in the order too much, I would think. Uh, so, yeah, I really like him in OBP leagues, but in batting average leagues – I just don't really want to take on somebody that I think is going to be a big negative there in the fourth round. Because as you move down the draft, especially, there's a lot of that. I mean, there's a lot of low batting average guys. So um, maybe, you know, I may be talking out of both sides of my mouth with this and DJ, but I just it's like going into it knowing that I'm getting that negative. I don't really, I'm just not really into it. I feel like there's guys later in the draft that can give me some power and speed and aren't going to hurt me in batting average. So yeah, I'm just not really into him at his price here. It's yeah. I'm, I like your logic there in terms of drafting batting average holes early is hard because if you've got to draft a batting average guy late in a draft, you're probably not getting hardly any home runs and steals. You're drafting an empty batting average a lot of times to where it's easier to find power, speed, and all that. Power, I should say, late with a low batting average. Um, And you just dig yourself a hole when you throw a 220, 230, 240 hitting player in your lineup in the top five rounds or so. So I'm with you on that. He's not... He's not been a target for me in any of my drafts yet. Probably won't be. 
Um, yeah, if it's an o- if it's an OBP league, I mean, like I said, changes everything. But just can't do it here. Yeah. Next two are Keston Hira at 66 overall and Brandon Lau at 70 overall. So these two are going in the fifth round. Do you have a preference from them? Uh, Hira. Okay. Why is that? Well, I mean, I'll just, I'll start by saying this, I guess I'll get the bad part out of the way. He was bad last year. Um, his end zone contact rate plummeted. And for me personally, I'm chalking up a lot of it just to 2020 shortened season craziness. Um, These are his WRC pluses from the time he was drafted until last year, 2017 in rookie ball, 240, 2017 in low a 138. 2018 in high A, 156. 2018 in double A, 116. 2019 in triple A, 155. 2019 in Major League Baseball, 140. Last year, 87. So it plummeted. And I just think that he's a good hitter and I'm willing to give him a pass. I also think he has a lot of upside. Like, I think that this is a guy that could hit 28 to 30 home runs and steal double-digit bases. I think that's like a potential outcome. I mean, most projection systems have him for around 30 bombs and low double-digit steals, which I think is fair. Um, I think he's going to play. Brewers are a so-so team, but he's, you know, he's young enough. He's 24. I just don't think they're going to be taking him out of the lineup, really. I mean, um and I just I think he's going to bounce back. I mean, like I said, a lot of the if you if you dig into what he did in just 2020, you're probably going to be scared off. I get it, but um, I'm just kind of willing to give him a pass and feel like he's proven over time that he's a pretty good hitter. And um, yeah, I feel like the power, speed, there's some of all of that there, and the run production should be pretty solid. So I I don't mind here or here. I actually grab well. I don't know if I love him in the fifth. I gra- the draft I took him, I took him in round six. So I like it a little bit better there, obviously. I mean, anytime you can get a guy later. But, yeah, I definitely pre- prefer him over Lau. I just think there's more upside and um, some things with Lau that I'm not too big on. Who do you like more out of the two? Uh, here is my answer. Um but I think they're pretty close. I, I just, but I think Hira's got the upside of the two to actually be a second round pick. That's where I think he could be if everything broke right. You know, Fu Moa, I put it out on the Facebook group again this week about asking about questions, and he asked if Hira's a bust. And I should have let I should have let you read through that. I'm sorry, I went on a no worries, little, no uh, worries. I, I, nothing you said really bothered anything. What I'm about to go into. And uh, I'm going to guess he means will he be a bust this next year. And when he, I, I did some digging into here, I've, I owned him in a dynasty league up till a, about this point last year. And I moved him really not because I wanted to get rid of him. I just got this guy named Fernando Tatis Jr. in the deal, and that worked out. But um, Hero, when he was drafted, I, I do remember scouting reports saying that he was projected to be a batting average player who 
should be able to chip in something like 10 to 15 home runs, 10 to 15 steals. Solid major leaguer, but the upside felt low. And then in 2019, watching him between the majors and minors, he combined for 38 home runs and 16 stolen bases. While the power upticked, so had the strikeouts. Um, after striking out 18 to 20% of the time in his first four stops in the minor leagues, in 2019 it was 26% in AAA, and that dropped because at one point it was 30% and 30% in the majors. But regardless, last offseason his redraft and dynasty value was red hot. And then last year happened, and he hit a measly 212 with a 34% strikeout rate. But the power was still there, 13 home runs and three steals. He was just, The problem is he was just swinging and missing too much. And I went to Baseball Savant, and if you go there, you can see for yourself exactly what was happening. Pitchers were attacking him up in the zone, and he was swinging and missing it almost every time they got the ball up in the zone. If they made a mistake and left one down, he'd cr he crushed it. But if you were up in the zone as a pitcher, he was missing. With all of that said, he's got an offseason. He's now has an offseason to make adjustments, and the question is, will he? But, you know, I'll bring up what I also brought up last year. Maybe the lack of video. This is another guy that needed that. Or maybe he's just in a sophomore slump and pitchers learned how to attack him. And the question is, will he adjust? And I don't know if he will or not. I think that there is risk that he doesn't, and he continues being a low batting average guy. But I also believe that if he does make those adjustments, he can be a second-round player. So, yeah, I will be willing to buy probably late fifth. Not I'm, I'm not get, probably going much earlier than this, but I'd be willing to go late fifth. And if he slipped into the sixth round, yeah, I'd take him. Yeah, that's that's what I was gonna say. I I don't like love this price sixty six. So yeah, that's middle of the fifth. Last uh, last month on in just draft champions NFC draft and hold teams uh, seventy two, I believe. So mm. it's a little little lower, but um, yeah, I think that it's kind of like you said one of those guys that has a good bit of upside and some risk so just things to think about if you're you're drafting what about low here oh Lau, i should say he had a decent amount of swing and a miss in his game has i should say but the ball jumps when he makes contact and he like caven biggio takes a walk really well he was one of my breakout picks two years ago. I do remember predicting that in OBP leagues, he'd be a top eight second baseman. And he was good before the injury cut his season short that year. And he was even better this last year in the brief time, in the short season, 269 batting average, 362 on base with 14 home runs in 56 games played. So very impressive. What are your thoughts overall on him? Honestly, I want nothing to do with him. Absolutely nothing to do with him. I just think it's a guy that's not going to be a batting average guy, not going to give me speed in the middle infield. And he whiffs a ton. I, I feel like with the Rays, there's always risk of, 
I mean, I don't really think he has playing time risk that much, but you know, if, if you hit a slump on that team, you never know. And it's kind of just, I'm not enamored enough with anything. I think his he has decent power, you know, obviously, you know, he hits the ball hard and stuff, but I just feel like you can find what he does pretty easily in a draft and at pick 70, you can have him. I just don't want anything to do with him, to be honest. I'm glad you brought up Tampa. That was going to be my thing I was going to say. You know, a left-hander who's got a lot of swing and miss in his game, I could see him being a guy who maybe he plays in, He played in 56 of these games last year, but how many of them did he start versus lefties, or how many did he come to pinch hit late in the game and then came into the game? I, Tampa just plays with people. And I don't expect Lau to be any different to where, yeah, I'll pass too. There's, there are guys, a couple guys coming up that I prefer to have. And yeah, it's just not, not a guy on my radar either. It's like, yeah, it's like one of those things that, um, you know, like I said, I don't, I don't really think he has a lot of playing time risk right away, but sometimes it comes and there's just, like you're getting what three categories at most, and that's if everything is is good. I don't know. I'm just I'm just not a fan. So three categories is it that low? In my head, I was thinking he was actually not too. Oh well, yeah, he didn't. He doesn't run as much as I was thinking. Three steals and five steals the previous year. So yeah, probably high single digits is what I would project him for. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Actually. Okay. Yeah. There's just a big part of me that doesn't believe in a lot of what he's done, I guess, too. So, Next up is uh, one of our disappointments from last year, Ketel Marte with an ADP of 83. So we're talking the sixth round, halfway through. Ketel throughout his career has not swung and missed too often at all compared to Lau and Biggio. And the breakout came last in 2019 with 32 home runs. 10 steals and a 329 batting average and 90 plus runs and 90 plus RBI. Then last year, the power disappeared. He only hit two home runs in 45 games played. Batting average was still good, but he was pretty ordinary. Steamer is playing the middle here for 2021. They've got a 287 batting average with 21 home runs and seven steals. The steals, I think you'd probably take. The question is the home runs here. So, over under 21 home runs for Keto Marte. I'll say slightly under. Okay. So I think it's close, though. So you're definitely not thinking that he's going to get back to that pushing 30 home runs then saying that. No, no. No, I don't think that. Uh, this This is a lot better for his draft position. I will say that. Yeah, you, um, I think you were out on a that lot. price last year. I do remember yeah. that. Yeah, it's, this is a lot better. I think it's pretty appropriate, actually. I don't mind uh, this spot for him. I think he's going to play every day, um, isn't going to hurt you in batting average. He never strikes out. I think he's 99th percentile in K percentage or something like that. I don't have it pulled up, but it's right right. You're correct. Amongst, it is 99. Yeah, so – you know, just puts the bat on the ball a lot, and obviously the, the team isn't great. He's going to play every day. And, you know, with that will we'll come some power probably. I don't know 
if it'll be a ton. I, I mean, I don't expect it to be anything crazy good, but I think it's a pretty decent floor pick. I don't like love it, but I don't hate it. I just I hated it last year when he was wherever he was. What it, was it? Forty five. Yeah, I just scrolled up to the top where you had the top ten. So yeah, that was crazy, and this is a lot better. So we'll see. Uh, we'll see what happens. I think I think it could be fine here, though. You know what? I hadn't thought about this, but Keitel Marte here is an argument against DJ LeMahieu. You look at those projections, and how far apart are they really? Yeah, not too, not too crazy, really. I mean, the lineups they're different, but yeah. Yes, that's the big difference: is home runs plus R- or runs and RBI. What's Keitel projected for? 80, 90, and seventy-eight. I mean, that's not even far off. I bet they're steamer. Like if you pr- project dollars. Were the dollar projections you look at? I I wouldn't. Be, I would bet they're pretty close because yeah, they're not too far off. Keitel's a little behind him, but not too far off. Keitel um isn't a great exit velocity guy when you look at him. I remember looking at this earlier in the off season. Pretty average on that. He did change his swing in terms of the launch angle in 2019, and it wasn't much different this last year. He put the ball in the air just about the same amount of time, just slightly less. The big difference you see when you look at him is the home run to fly ball rate between the two years, 19% in 2019, and it was 3.8% in 2020 in the 60 games or so. Yeah. I I think that it's somewhere in between. I, I used to say this with Wilson Contreras a few years ago as he kept swinging up and down. He'd have like a 27% home run to fly ball rate one year and 10% the next. I'm, I kept saying it's somewhere in between. And I kind of feel this way about Keitel to where, yeah, I think the 21's close. I, I'm with you, though. I would take the slide under on that. But Yeah, I think I would take... I think I would take the over on seven steals or whatever they have though. I don't know. It's not I yeah, I would slide over. I think I I think the 28 home runs plus steals is probably pretty accurate. I think I think I am with you on that. What's what was his sprint speed? 70 percentile last year, previous year 73rd. So yeah. Yeah, what did he steal 10 previous season? Yeah. yeah, only one only one last year, so. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And yeah, I like the price here. I would of all of the guys listed so far, this is my favorite price. I've got one more that I really like that's coming up here in a second. Um, two multi-position players coming up here at 92 and 96. Jeff McNeil with the Mets at 92 and Max Muncy at 96. Um, two guys who provide different kind of statistics from each other. So this might be a hard question to ask, but do you prefer one over the other? No, not really. I I feel like I'm just not getting these two. I don't know. It's just I don't love either guy. Neither one of them's giving you any speed. Um, McNeil. I mean, they're obviously different. McNeil's kind of the high batting average guy that you just wonder where the power's going to fall. And Muncy's the high power guy that you wonder where the average is going to fall. But no, I think I'm passing. I just don't love the you know how it sets me up i i'm kind of taking other things in this spot you know this is kind of like round six round seven um not a fan of either one here really yeah 
they're handy for the multi-positional eligibility and draft and hold leagues. And I was in on Muncie. I think I took him on Actually, if I recall right, I took Muncie slightly ahead of Jose Abreu last year to have the multi-position eligibility in a draft and hold league. That sounds Ooh. weird to say now. Did you get Did you get Abreu too, or no? No, I didn't. Abreu won oh. a couple picks later. I th- I'm almost Ooh. certain that w- I'm remembering that that happened now that I, it just popped in my memory. You uh, you shouldn't have admitted that. <laughs> <laughs> I even said, but, I, but I, I, respe- I respect it though. I respect. I it. think I remember even saying straight up, I'd rather have Jose Abreu, but I think I'm going to take Muncie here, who I have slightly behind, but I'll take for the multi position. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is nice eligibility. I mean, yeah, but don't take Max Muncy ahead of Jose Abreu. That's your life. Yes, correct. Yeah, don't yeah, be don't like do that. <laughs> I don't have much to add on these two guys either. They are who they are. I mean, Jeff McNeil. I guess the question is the power and does it rebound? Uh, Muncy. I mean, batting average could be anywhere between two hundred and two two ten and two sixty, but he's going to provide a lot of power and he's in a really good lineup. Yeah, I think I think for me what's weird with McNeil is like you know, if you put him at third base, you know, he's he's eligible at second, third and outfield. If you put him at third base, you're light on power for that position. Am I correct? That is correct. And if you put him at second base, you're presumably light on speed for what you would want out of a middle infielder, right? That is correct. Yeah, it just so you're just drafting high batting average, which you pray to God he gives it to you because I don't know, it's just not how I want to build really. So okay, well we'll move on to the next two then. We got Jose Jose Altuve down here at 105 after a disastrous season last year, and Dylan Moore who had the breakout season as second base and outfield eligibility. If I didn't say Jose Altuve is at 105 and Dylan Moore is at 111. So we're talking these guys are in the eighth round. Who are you taking first to this group? And also, do either guy jump over McNeil or Muncie for you? Uh, definitely, definitely taking Altuve. Um, I like it. 105, I like it. And I actually haven't... Um, I haven't gotten him in my drafts yet, which is weird because I think I've probably just been playing chicken too long and hoped I can, you know, I'm, I'm always looking for, I'm always looking for bargains. So it's like, um, missed out, but yeah, I definitely like El Tuve's draft price this year. Uh, I kind of just trust the player that he's always been. And I know that he is on the decline, but he kind of has one of those skill sets where if he rebounds, you can pretty easily see him shooting right back up to the top of the position. I just, I feel like he could hit, you know, like I made the comment the other day, but would it shock you if he had as good of a season as Ozzy Albies? Wouldn't shock me. Not really. I mean, I think he can hit for a high average. I think he can hit, bombs and i think he can get like around 10 steals i mean he 89th percentile sprint speed i know the steals have been on the decline but yeah i just i feel like he's um 
a pretty good bet to bounce back. And if he doesn't, it's not absolutely killing you in this spot, I don't feel. So, yeah, after pick 100, I'm in. I like it. What you said about Ozzy Albies was exactly what I was going to say here. I, I said I was going to talk about him but didn't go in depth. And it's part of the reason I'm a little hesitant on Albies in the third or like taking him there. I'd still do it at the right spot. And I think they're like a, if I missed out and was going with a bat around there, it's probably going to be Albies. But in my head, I think every time I see him go, man, Jose Altuve, this is one of my, this is by far my favorite price in this position is Altuve. It was ugly last year, and I get that. And there is a lot more risk than Ozzy Albies. I get that too. But it would not surprise me if he did what Albies is projected for. I just, I mean, maybe a couple less steals, but he's capable. Yeah. He's a high batting average guy who's hitting the, I think can will hit in the mid-20s in home runs. I think that's very possible. And going back to what I said last week about the video, I do think that maybe that's part of what ailed all of these Astros. They're a, ve- they're a team that is very into analytics and video and all that stuff. And I, it would not surprise me if that's why guys like Altuve and Bregman were out there struggling. I just, I, I can see it. I don't know if I'm making this up in my head or not. I'm not going to sit here and swear that he's going to have this breakout season again. Or I should say rebound season, but I am definitely taking the chance on Altuve here. I've got him in one of two leagues. I will continue trying to get him. Yeah, they've got him slated right now because obviously Springer's gone at leadoff. Do they? Yeah. Well, on roster resource, I mm-hmm. mean, doesn't mean a ton, but it, means something probably so um yeah i just it's a good lineup still you know the top five i mean altuve bregman brantley correa Jordan. it's pretty good i mean and obviously tucker's gonna be in there somewhere so yeah he's got a hit lead off. yeah it's uh, um it's either him or kyle he's tucker gonna, you and know, I, he's I gonna hit right he's gonna hit right in the in the middle there or top to you know, top three, whatever. So I just, yeah, I feel like good rebound is probably in the cards. Yeah. Okay. What about Dylan Moore? Mike Rager. I hope I said your name, sp- pronounced your name right there, Mike. Uh, he wanted to, he had us to talk about more. I think a couple of guys did. And if his 2020 is a fact or a fluke, and if that Mitch Hanniger's return squeezes his at bats. So what are your thoughts on him? Man, he, power he's, speed. he's tricky one because it's it's just such a it's such a weird combination of unexpected um probably gets a lot of playing time but i also feel like an extended slump could put him in danger of losing it and i think a lot of people aren't uh, paying attention to that side of it with him that like him. Wow, his I, his steamer projection is nuts. Have you seen it? Uh huh. Looking right well, now. the homer, the homers and steals at least. Yep, that's Whit Merrifield, uh, sixteen and twenty four. Yeah, I'm taking the under on forty for sure. <laughs> because I just worry. I mean, my biggest thing with Dylan Moore 
And like, I will say this, if Dylan Moore starts the whole year, he's probably going to be fine because he's going to run and, you know, you kind of hope the rest of it works out. I mean, I think he's an okay hitter, not a great hitter, but he'll have a little bit of pop and should have a good amount of speed. I mean, all the projection systems have him from anywhere from 21 to 26 steals, which I think is probably close to accurate in a full season. Um, I'm just more worried about what happens if this guy has a rough patch. And I know a lot of people will say, well, Seattle's bad, but they've got some talent kind of coming up too. And some decent players already in the lineup. So I don't know. I just, I feel like that there's a chance that he, he could lose some playing time too. So uh, I don't, you know, they were already saying him and shed long are competing for the job at second base. Wasn't it? Wasn't it those two? Yeah. Or was I think it so. Fran- was it Ty France? Maybe. Oh, I, I think you're right. I think Shed Long's uh, down the list. So yeah, you might. I think you're right about. Well, France. it was Shed Long and somebody, but maybe it was France. I could be wrong on that. But um, yeah, yeah I just I worry stop, like what. Sec, they've got him at second. Uh, J.P. Crawford's at short. Yeah, you're right, and they got more. But I just baseman. Ty France is D.H. on roster resource. Yeah, which is probably probably where he belongs. Yep. But, um. Yeah, I just wonder what an extended like April slump would do, and I feel like it could be ugly. So, but if he avoids that and is in the lineup all year, this pick will probably be fine. Yeah, there's risk of it's it's very similar to Adalberto Mondesi two years ago. Thankfully, it's not quite as early of a price. There's a really good upside if he can hold the job and play every day, just because steals are so hard to find. And yeah. He's done a pretty good job at that the last two years. He must have a real good base stealing instincts because he's fast, but he also he's only like seventy first percentile in speed. So he's not this insanely fast guy. He just must have really good instincts out there. Um, on that same note, there's a downside that if he's not hitting well, and I mean Steamer's projecting him for a two twenty two batting average and a two ninety nine on base, and that sub 300 can cost you playing time it's done it to go ask jonathan vr what happens when you have a when your obp gets down there because he's a real fun fantasy player but when he gets down there he loses playing time sometimes so risk is there but upside's there too so yeah are you saying you wouldn't take him in the eighth round let's say altuve's gone eighth ninth round he's still there Probably not. No, I'm probably addressing my speed in different ways than taking him here. And like I said, it's just, I just worry about um, the risks involved with Dylan Moore. So I'm probably out. Who would you have higher between him or Jonathan VR right now when VR doesn't have a job? Dylan Moore. I, I agree. I was wondering if you would say that. Okay. Um, moving into the next tier where VR is part of it, Mike Moustakis at 124 overall, uh, Tommy Edmond at 131, and Jonathan VR at 137. More multi-position players here of this group. Who's at the top of your list? Well, I think it's it's weird because 
Mustakis next to these guys. <laughs> One of these things is not <laughs> like the other. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, I feel like I never get Mustakis, but I feel like he's always a value. So whatever you want to make of that, I mean, it's probably just because it's um, heavy on the power and not much else. And, um, at a position where I just, I don't know, it's, it's weird to me. Like I, I like Edmund quite a bit. Uh, the versatility, Mustakis has some of that too. And I do like Mustakis. They're just, like I said, they're just very different. I almost can't even compare the two because, you know, one of you, one of them's giving you a ton of power, low batting average, most likely. And then, and no speed. And the other one's giving you kind of a blend across the board that you can hope prop up props up a little bit. So um, I think I like Edmund of the group, but it's more of like team building thing. I actually think that Mustakis just in like pure dollars earned will probably out earn Edmund. But, um, you know, the steals are scarce and I think he's going to give you some of that. How much we'll see, but, and um, I just like the versatility and stuff. So. Yeah, I think I'm taking Mustakis here, but Edmund and him it depend- are really close. Yeah, it depends on the rest of your team too, and how you're, where you're at at this point, and what you plan on doing later. I feel like with those two. Before I started diving into Edmund, I was very concerned as a guy who owned him in a dynasty league. Still do. He stole only two bases, and he was caught four times. I was hoping for a full season, it, he would steal 25 bags, and that had me really concerned. Then the offseason came, and you know, going into his stat cast page, I do see he's still in the 95th percentile on speed, so he's really fast. I don't know what happened, could just be bad luck. Maybe he doesn't have great bad or bad steel, steel instincts on the paths, but I'm willing to give him a pass for this. It was a weird year, maybe there was some stuff going on. Maybe he, well, like, I can't say he wasn't in great shape because he was still in the 95th percentile, but. I'm willing to give him a pass on it going into this year. But I'll still take Mustakis just because of the fact that he's such a power power machine. I mean, 35 home runs in 2019, 28 in 2018, 20, 38 in 2017. He keeps, like, he was in the Brewers, now he's in the Reds. NL Central, really good hitting parks between those two that he's been at the last few years. And, yeah, I'd be projecting... I mean, what's Steamer's got him for 35 home runs. And I took him in my last draft and had him at my second base spot, and I missed out on, like, I, I got behind on corners. So what I ended up doing was drafting him, and then I didn't like the corner infielders near as much as I liked some of the, like, a second base, a couple of these second basemen going later. So I ended up moving him to my corner infield and took moved him there and just put uh, – power speed guy in my in my second base slot so i'll take moustakis but he does fit a lot better on a corner infield slot i will admit that yeah yeah he makes sense more sense there but it's also one of those things you know if if you get during during the season and you need a bump in power like if you're good in speed or you know you have mondesi or something like that you can put him at second base and he's out homering almost every second baseman on the board, you know? So everyone that's kind of projected, right? Yeah. That's kind of nice. The, 
the one thing I was going to just say with Edmund too is I know you're obviously drafting him as a starter here, but I kind of like when I have Edmund to have a team around him that I can use him as a versatile piece. And kind of what I mean by that is like, you know, if you have, you kind of want a team where you can put him at second, you can put him at third, you can put him at short, you can put him at outfield, and you have guys at those other positions that you trust enough to where he doesn't have to be your second baseman because you don't have anyone else. Because then you kill his versatility by doing that. So just something to keep in mind. I, I have Edmund on a couple of teams, and the best way to – be able to use that is to be able to move him around and if if like he's your only second baseman you have to play him there you can't really move him around so i'd be kind of churning those wheels if i if i had uh edmund on my roster ideally you'd want to have him like as a middle infielder yeah i think that's what you're saying and then maybe yeah maybe or or like you know and even to where you could move him into outfield i mean you have like this team where you know if there's an injury pop up you can move him here or move him there stuff like that i i think ideally he's at my second base shortstop or middle infield slot because i just feel like he fits that profile the best but um it's nice to be able to move him to the other spots too especially if you're in a pinch and you need playing time for the weekend or you know someone goes on the il etc yeah ideally you'd take him as a middle infielder i think and then you take another middle infielder really early part of the reserve rounds that you feel comfortable plugging because then Edmund is your replacement at any other position that has an injury just about except first base. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Um, we have discussed this before, but we're now into the latter part of January. How concerned are you about VR not being signed yet? I was going to say that that's an important thing to mention because I'm starting to get concerned a little bit. And, um, you know, I mentioned previously, I, I like him when he's, when he's playing, when he's on a bad team, we've said it a hundred times, but it's like Jonathan VR just needs to be on a bad team so he can run wild and do his thing. And the reason I say that is because there's a lot of warts in his game that if he's on a good team, he's going to struggle to have playing time because he doesn't get on base. He's not a great defender. There's all sorts of things, you know, it's, we don't have to get too deep into it. I think most of the people listening know, but um, I'm starting to get a little concerned. Yeah. It's just there. I mean, there's a lot of guys that aren't signed, so maybe I shouldn't be, but especially for a guy that I don't know if he's going to sign somewhere, you know, I, I don't know for sure if he's going to sign somewhere and have a full-time gig. And if he doesn't, then you're kind of in trouble here at 137. So, I don't know. I'm kind of starting to pump the brakes a little bit on him until I know more, I guess. But that said, if he signs, if he goes somewhere where he's got a job, I'm taking him over Mustakis and Edmund, most likely. Yes. You know... um, Steam uh, fan tracks where we play in most all of our leagues just put out their projections on all these players and I have them on a dynasty um, team. So I was scrolling through. Actually, I have them on both of my dynasty teams that I play 
my long time ones. And I say long time. Anyway, his steamer projection right now is 12 home runs and 44 stolen bases. That's just hard to find stuff like that. And yeah. it's a very unique skill set, as that term we use so much. But he's got to get the playing time, and he doesn't have many teams he can go to where I feel like he's going to have it. He needs to. I, uh, there's been talk of Baltimore has said that they're open to talking to him. Oh. That would be a great, great that would thing be, to happen. God, that would be the dream. Baltimore is the dream. That's where you want him to go. If you own Jonathan VR. Baltimore is perfect. Yep. It is absolutely perfect. I mean, we're one year removed from this guy having a 24 home run, 40 stolen base season. So, like I said, you just, he's got to go. So, he's, is he not, I was thinking about this the other day, is he the most volatile right now without knowing where he's going or whatever? Is he the most volatile guy on the entire board? The only other one and I instinct instinctively think of is Denelson Lamette, and that's because of injury. Yeah. But yeah. Th- yeah, he's right there at the top. Yeah, I mean I, I feel like you know we can't say that replicating twenty nineteen is impossible. Nope. I mean I, I I don't expect it. I mean it was two seventy four average, twenty four homers, forty steals, hundred and eleven runs scored and seventy three RBI. That's a first round pick. I don't think that's going to happen, but if he came, you know, if he did 80% of that, I mean, I just don't, you know, that was just the last full season we had major league baseball. So it definitely doesn't feel like it's impossible if he signs with the right team, but at the same time he could be nothing. So yeah, I've, I've thought about that. I'm like, man, it, it could go wildly one way or wildly the other. And the first, the first step of it is, where he signs. So hopefully we find out relatively soon. You know, a team I hadn't thought about, I'm just scrolling through teams, kind of trying to see where I think he could go right now in my head. What about the pirates? Maybe the pirates would sign him. <laughs> he he doesn't yeah. sign with anybody and he goes and signs them with them for $2 million. I don't know. Yeah, Maybe, maybe that's the type of place he'd end up. Oh man. They're so bad. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I mean, they, he would play there, but, the thing I like with Baltimore right now is they're not only bad, but it's like a good hitters park. Yes. And it's a good hitters division, yes. like hitters parks in the division. And he would play and he would run and it, it's perfect. Like Baltimore is perfect for him. Completely so we'll agree. See. Yeah. Completely agree. All right, so right here was where we're going to close off the and cut off the first episode of the second base preview. And Andrew and I are going to be back just in a couple days is whenever I post part two where we will t- touch on the rest of the second baseman. But, Andrew, w- let's talk about football just like we did last weekend. And we've got two championship games coming up this weekend. I thought it would be fun once again to make our predictions. And... You posted on the Facebook group and took a poll asking them who was going to win, and I haven't even seen the options. So why don't you share with everybody else what they were and what the votes were? So, yeah, no, I just put a post up in the group. Um, 
who plays in the Super Bowl. And Packers-Bills got 52 votes as of this moment. That had the most. Packers-Chiefs had 49 votes. Bucks-Bills had 24 votes. And Bucks-Chiefs had 15 votes. So I just threw a non-baseball thing out there. Don't do it too much, but... Wow. Who do you got? I'm going to let you go first. Who do you got? I'm taking the home teams on both. I feel a lot more confident about the AFC than the NFC just because Mahomes looks like he's healthy and ready to play after having the concussion scare. I just feel like they're going to win. I, I, maybe I'm discounting Buffalo too much. I just think that that train is so hard to stop. But, And I'm a Packer fan. I'm going to take the Packers. The Bucks were the team in the playoffs I did not want to see in the NFC because they absolutely trounced Green Bay earlier this year. But I did forget that that game was in Tampa Bay. I was thinking they went in the Lambeau and crushed them. So that does give me a little more hope. I love that the weather is going to be – I think I saw that game time, it's going to be below 20 degrees when they're playing. And Brady's used to that. And that's going to make – that. that's – that's a good thing when your quarterback's used to that because Peyton Manning sure had his struggles over the years in cold weather, especially early in his career. But I had the rest of those bucks, they don't go out in that type of temperature that often. And I could see them struggling trying to play in that, in that weather and the Packers are built for it. So I'm going to take the home teams and man, I hope I'm right on the Packers. All right. What about you? I hope you're wrong. But, um... <laughs> I am going to agree with you. I think that, and I pretty much agree with almost everything you said. I I think the Chiefs and Buffalo, it's one of those things where I think it's going to be a really good game. I think it's going to be a really fun game. And I think it could be a really close game. But I do not see Buffalo winning that game. I will be surprised. Pretty surprised if they win, assuming Mahomes is okay. Yeah. This is all under this is all under that assumption. If he's not, then uh, forget it because Casey's in trouble. But yeah, that's, uh, assuming all of that, and I am kind of assuming that. I, I think he'll be fine. Um, so yeah, I think Casey wins probably a close game, and the other game, um, I really hope Tampa wins. I'm a huge Brady fan. And I don't like the Packers, sorry. But um, I, I, I think the Packers are going to win. I, I think that it's kind of, uh, I don't know, it might be their year, man. Man. What do you think? I, I, you know, I was sitting there. I actually think, I actually have a feeling, though, that the winner of Green Bay-Tampa is going to win it. I think either one of them can. In ta- I mean, it's, keep in mind, it's in Tampa. So it's a home Super Bowl if Tampa's there. And I just, I don't know. I, I feel like the winner of that game is going to win it. But I won't get ahead of it. I'll, I, I think Green Bay, but I think it's another good game. And uh, I think that one can go either way. I'm not as confident in that game. Yeah. I I do feel like the the last week, after watching them play the Rams, I've started convincing myself. I'm like, man, they might be able to beat the Chiefs with this squad. I mean, they went out there and played an yeah. impressive ball against the Rams. Yeah, real impressive, yeah. And, yeah, I think it's possible. Yeah. So we're on the same page. No bets to be made. 
but yeah, you're not getting me this week. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't expect to, I didn't expect, even if you took the bucks, I wouldn't have guessed. I, w- I don't even know if I would have tried, but I, yeah, I would have. Yeah, I would have. And then you'd know. <laughs> either way. Thank you guys for listening. Hopefully it's good football Sunday and we'll be back again on Monday with the part two of this podcast. So thanks for listening. Take care, everybody. Take care, guys. Thanks again for listening to the Baseball 365 podcast with Justin Hughes and Andrew McQuiston. Be sure to check the show notes for all the details on today's episode, along with quick links to Facebook and Twitter. If you have a question, a comment, or a suggestion, we would love to hear from you. You can find us at the Baseball 365 Facebook group or send an email to us, baseball365pod at gmail.com. And if you like the show, take a moment, rate us on iTunes. Once again, please join the Baseball 365 community on Facebook. That's where baseball lives 365 days a year.